This morning we come to one of the most offensive verses in the Bible. Yeah, I said that. We come this morning to one of the most offensive verses in the Bible. In your journal, it's page 8. It's Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And listen to it, and you tell me if you find this offensive. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, if that doesn't offend you, you may not be listening. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness, all ungodliness. Now, this deals with your faith and your function, your belief and your behavior. God's wrath, the Bible says right here, is revealed. This isn't something that's going to happen 20 years from now or 100 years from now. The wrath of God today is being revealed against all ungodliness. Every bit of our behavior, our attitudes, our words that is contrary to God and contrary to his moral law God's wrath today is being revealed against every bit of it. Now, I want to I just, I, I can hear someone saying, oh, pastor, we want to grow the church. This, this, this kind of preaching is not going to help us grow the church. I, I can hear it. Well, I want to say something to you if you think that's true. We are not going to grow the church with deception. We're not going to grow the church by telling people what may feel good. I happen to love God for many reasons, but one of the reasons is he tells the truth. One of the reasons I love the Bible is because it tells the truth. This is the truth. There is a God who holds everyone accountable to himself and to his moral law. And that is offensive. You and I live in a culture that has accepted two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear them or hate them. That is a huge lie. The second huge lie is that if you love someone, it means you agree with everything they believe or do. That is a huge lie. And I want to tell you something. You do not need to compromise your convictions in order to be a compassionate person. 
If you can't embrace that, you will never stand what we're gonna be facing in the next 10 to 15 years. Do not allow our culture to condemn you and steal from you your convictions in the name of, oh, you're not compassionate. I'm gonna tell you, it's not compassionate to lie to someone. It's not compassionate to anybody to forfeit the truth and reality. That's not compassionate. No, don't talk to me about being compassionate. No, but I'll tell you something. There is a greater weight on us who hold to convictions to demonstrate compassion. I'll agree with you on that. God help us if all we do is hold to the truth without grace. In Christ there comes grace and there comes truth. And you, you can't follow Jesus if you hold on to grace and let go of the truth. Is anybody with me this morning? Yes. Now, I want to put this in context. I want you to see the bigger picture. Because uh, the book of Romans is an absolute masterpiece, and I want you to follow along. I, th th this journal uh, has the scripture and lines with blank so that you can write and interact with this. So please take full advantage. Don't just carry this around with you. Please, now's the time to write in here. On page eight, it begins the first section, which is the wrath of God. It's chapters one, two, and three, but it, the wrath, so you can put Roman numeral one, the wrath of God on page eight, it's the first section, and it's chapters one, two, and three. Then turn to page 20. It's the grace of God. It's chapters four, five, six, seven, and eight. You can write on page uh, 20, Roman numeral two, the grace of God. Then go to page 40. It's the plan of God, and it's chapters nine, 10, and 11. And then go to page 54, and put Roman numeral four, and it's the work of God, chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16. So we go from the first section, the wrath of God. The second section, the grace of God. The third section in Romans is the plan of God. The fourth section is the work of God. Now, okay, this first section, the wrath of God, starts in verse 18. Now in the past, <clears throat> couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we talked about the righteousness of God. Last week, we talked about the gospel of God. This morning, we're introducing this section, the wrath of God. You cannot have a solid hold on the righteousness of God without a solid hold on the wrath of God. And you cannot have a solid hold on the gospel of God without having a solid hold on the wrath of God. Amen. These three are inseparably linked. Now, in this first section, three chapters, the wrath of God, it's so brilliantly laid out. Chapter one, 
is the wrath of God against the non-religious. Chapter 2 is the wrath of God against the religious. Chapter 3 is the wrath of God against all humanity. So this is, while the wrath of God is mentioned in one verse, it encompasses this whole first three chapters. That's why you cannot remove the wrath of God and still have the gospel. And I'm so glad by the grace of God that I have the privilege to bring the word here to us on the wrath of God. But now, first section, first part of the first section, the wrath of God against the non-religious. Verse 18 gives us the backdrop on the accuracy, the justice, the appropriateness of God's wrath against the non-religious. In verse 19, it gives the rationale. How can a just God who loves all people hold all people accountable, even the non-religious, even those that have never heard or those that are entrenched in other religions? How is it possible for God who loves all people to hold people accountable? And the answer, look at verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are, and and here's the words, without excuse. Let me explain this. This is so powerful. What it's saying is, not everyone has a Bible, but everyone has creation. And behind the beauty, symmetry, genius of our world is a brilliant creator who created all things. Let me use a couple of illustrations. Suppose you were selected for the next um, lunar landing. And for whatever, something motivated you to say, yes, I want to go to the moon. And you get to the moon, you step out of the the lunar craft, you get to take your five-minute walk on the surface of the moon, and you look down... And there on the surface of the moon is a Rolex watch. You pick up the watch, you listen, and it's ticking. You look at the time, the date, everything is perfect. Now, what would you assume? Someone was there before you. No one would suggest that just happened to be there. This is a fine instrument, it's precise, it's of great value, and some knucklehead left it here. 
No one, no one, no one, no one would ever suggest that was just happenstance. Would we not all agree with that? Now, if, if you would agree that a Rolex watch on the moon meant someone else was there before you, looking at a sunrise or a sunset, looking at an ecosystem in the Great Barrier Reef, looking at, at a newborn baby, how in the world can anyone who sees that brilliance, that design, suggest it just happened? No, God is speaking through the things that are, and the things that are are holding everyone accountable to his existence. Amen. I'll use another illustration, because this point is so essential for our understanding. Let's just say someone was kept from ever seeing the sun What's that Jim Carrey movie where he was raised in this synthetic environment? It's, it's not just Truman, it's Truman. Truman Show. Okay, so he never saw the sun. What he thought was the sun was a synthetic sun. He was taught to when to get up and so forth. Okay, let's just say someone is kept from ever seeing the sun, but then is allowed to see the moon. And let's say they were able to, through science and their own discovery, figure out that the moon has no light of its own. There's nothing luminescent on the surface of the moon. And yet look at all the, the light we get on earth from the moon. It would only be logical that there is a sun because somewhere that light is hitting the moon and refracting back down to the earth. So having never seen the sun, someone who saw the moon could easily deduce that there has to be a sun. In the same way, God who created all things gives fingerprints, gives evidence of what's now called intelligent design woven into every facet of the created stuff around us so that everyone can see that there is a master designer behind the master design. Having never seen the sun, they see the light of his reflection everywhere. Now, having given that evidence that therefore everyone has the opportunity of knowing, the creator, through seeing his handiwork of creation, now it explains the way God shows and reveals his wrath. I want you to follow this. Here in Romans chapter one, three times the same phrase is repeated. Verse 24, verse 26, and verse 28. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up 
in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations uh, for these that are contrary to human nature, and men likewise gave up natural affections with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And then verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. Okay, three times. And what this is, this is both the downward spiral of humanity, each of the three times entering a new phase of the wrath of God. Now I want to define for you the wrath of God. The best definition I've ever heard of the wrath of God is God saying to people, have it your way. Have it your way. When God woos all people, but those who say, nope, thank you, but no, and walk away, it, it says here three times, and God gave them up, God gave them up, God gave them up. Each of the times, and God gave them up, it's another level of the wrath of God. The wrath of God is when God gives up on a people. Now throughout the scriptures, we see the pursuing nature of God. Take Adam, the first person. He sinned and it says that he tried to hide from God, but God pursued him and won him back. And even gave him a suit of clothes dressed him when he was clothed in nothing but shame. But then in the next chapter of the first book in the Bible, the book of Genesis, the next chapter we come to Cain, who after killing Abel, God came to appeal to Cain, but God walked, it says, God, Cain walked away from the presence of God, and God gave him up. I want to suggest this morning that there, is, there are no words that should put greater horror in our hearts than to ever hear God say to us, have it your way. Have it your way. I am so thankful that my God loves me so much that he doesn't let me get away with much. I noticed this as a young boy. Um, I had friends that could go smoke behind, behind their house and get away with it. The first time I tried it, I walked in the kitchen. My mother said, hey, Fred, look at me. What have you been up to? Oh, I used to hate that. She knew everything. And then the Lord started telling me, Fred, it's because I love you. I don't want you to get away with that. And I said, thank you, Lord. I'm the kind of guy, if I roll through a stop sign, you know, I mean, I, I, I did everything but back up. 
I mean, I was so close to a full stop. My gas was moving back and forth in my tank. But I just let it roll out of nowhere. It's just like, Lord, what's the deal? And he says, praise me, it's because I love you. I discipline every son who I have received. Praise God for the rebukes of God. No, I don't ever want God to get to the place of saying, have it your way. No, I hope you get to the place in your life where you welcome the rebukes of God, you welcome the chastisement of the Lord, you, you welcome his correction, his confrontation, his intervention. Now, I want you to look at that. At the front of our chapel, and at the front of our main worship space, there's an emblem that hangs on the wall. Some of us may appreciate it more than others, but most of us say, oh, that's nice. In wrapping up this message this morning, as my closing argument on behalf of you and I retaining not just acceptance of the wrath of God, but understanding and visceral appreciation for the wrath of God, I present to you Exhibit A. You may argue the wrath of God against some people groups, against some others, against how can a just loving God, all that. But I present to you one argument you can't argue. You can't overthrow it. And it's the fact that when it came down to the bottom line, the one true God sent his son, his only son, into our world. Now listen to this. To absorb in his body the wrath of God. So if you throw out the wrath of God, you throw out that with it. I want to give you a word. I want you to write it down because it's going to pop up in the book of Romans, but I want you to write it down now so that when we get to it, you can appreciate it even more. And I'd encourage you, put it on page 8 or opposite page 8, opposite verse 18, and it's the word propitiation. 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 The word propitiation will not be preached in most churches in Atlanta. What propitiation means is that when Christ went to the cross, he not only 
received the wrath of God. He satisfied the wrath of God. Before Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father let go of his son for the first time. The letting go, the turning his back, the breaking of something in the Godhead. So that the only person in all history who could satisfy the wrath of God accepted every ounce of God's wrath against our sin. It was poured out on Jesus. Propitiation. There's no word in the vocabulary that should trigger our worship from a deeper place than propitiation. I don't care whether you knew it when you got here, I hope you leave with it as part of your vocabulary. Tomorrow, if you're having a rough day, remember propitiation. Yeah, but just think about what he did for me. This is why you take away the wrath of God and you take away the gospel. You dumb it down. I want to just end by telling one quick story. I, I had a wonderful childhood. I, I have so many tremendous memories. But I have two sorrows from my childhood. And the one I want to tell you about is my little dog. I had a beagle, uh, Beezy. And I love this dog. This dog, he loved me. And, and we, we'd play, we'd do everything together. I love this dog. I loved the dog probably more than my mother at that time. I mean, I love that dog. But as the dog, in the, the dog used to greet me when I got home from the school bus. He'd be sitting there. Running up. I mean, my mother didn't meet me off the bus. Fortunately, that would have been embarrassing. But my dog was there. So, but as the dog got older, it, it developed a kind of a renegade, runaway mindset. Its spirit, like, wanted to go. And taking it for walks, if I didn't have it on a chain, I'd never see it. I wouldn't see it for days. So I had to put a, a chain around his neck and walk the thing. But then that got to be a nuisance. It was always like, <laughs> it wore me out. And I, I'll never forget the day I put dog bones in my pocket and I got down next to my dog and I let him see I had a bunch of them and I pulled one out and busted off the tip of it and fed it to him and then I was gonna play with it and I took the collar off. This is the saddest thing for me. It's the second that collar was off, 
Busy! Nothing. I went inside. I thought, well, I just did a few calisthenics. He's going to be back. Made the trip around the neighborhood. Went out, called, BZ, come on. Before I went to bed, I opened the, my bedroom window. I called him by name. BZ. It broke my heart. Gone. First chance he had. What is that? That is the letting go of something you love by saying, have it your way. Now, you're never going to be able to stand before God and to say, who do you think you are? Showing wrath against all ungodliness and all sin. God the Father will take one look at his son and look back at you and any objections you had against the wrath of God are all going to be gone in an instant. I get it. There's only two groups of people in the world. There are those to whom God says, have it your way. And there are those who say to God, I want to have it your way. I call you this morning, church, to trust the God who is showing today wrath against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness, but who at the same time has satisfied his own wrath in his own son. You can trust a God like that. Would you stand with me this morning? to trust in him, to trust the Lord, to say to Jesus today, I, I trust you, Lord. I trust you. I, I want to say to you today, I, I want to say to you, Lord, I want you to have it your way. I want to have it your way. And the fact of the matter is we don't get it both ways. But I appeal to you on the basis of the wrath of God, satisfied in Christ, to take your life today and say to God, have it your way. I just want to ask you, if, it's, if there's something in your heart this morning you know you have not been walking with the Lord. You know you have, have been running. You've run away 
perhaps, maybe consciously, maybe by default. But I want to ask you, would you make a decision today to say to Jesus, Lord, I want you to have it your way. If, if that's you this morning, would you just slip up your hand wherever you're standing? Yeah, God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. God bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I feel the Holy Spirit urging you to come and give your life to Christ. Some of us have done that, but we've, we've messed up. We've faked it. But I just feel the urging of the loving Spirit of God calling out to you today to come, to come. As we sing together, I want to just give an invitation for you to come. I'm going to be here at the front. Hatch, if you could uh, just stand here, please. And Stephen, if you would come. Connie, if you would come. Let's have women with women and men with men. Yeah. And hey, if you don't mind coming over here, please. And maybe Dale and Beverly, if you guys could just stand here. I, I, I just... I want to give you this moment. We do a lot of things by our actions that say, Lord, nope, I want it my way. But today, while you're thinking clearly here, when you, as you're feeling the love of God for you like no one else loves you, just as I called out to the dog I loved as a kid, the Lord's been calling out to you, please, please, come. Come, come to Jesus. As we sing, I want to encourage you right now, please slip out and come and let's settle this matter this morning. You please come.